Storytelling has been around long before humans had letters and alphabets and a means to write stuff down. Humans pass on information and cautionary tales using stories. We tell our children stories to teach them things. And the world is full of fables and religious tales, which help us all to understand this world in the same way. When people gather around the fire to barbecue meat, they will eagerly tell stories of funny and interesting things that happen to them. Seldom will you hear corporate jargon and descriptions of beautiful purchase orders that they created. An article in Forbes magazine says that storytelling is often the best way for leaders to communicate with the people they are leading. In fact, storytelling is a crucial tool for management and leadership because often nothing else works. When management believe deeply in them, their stories resonate, generating creativity, interaction and transformation. When I recently arranged a team building session, my team felt strongly that we should do something that would help us understand each other better. And what is better than storytelling to bind us together? In this episode, I speak to three remarkable individuals who taught a bunch of mining people how to tell stories. Storytelling is a leadership tool that can be cultivated, and Tracy Swanepoel started Thinkspiration to do just that. As an added bonus, well-known in the mining circles, Bernard Swanepoel, who himself is a great storyteller, brought many practical examples of storytelling in the mining industry. Thinkspiration director Lisa Shippey gave many practical and helpful tips on how to tell stories. Thinkspiration is a business that specializes in turning business strategy into stories. Enjoy this episode. Have you ever gone through change in your personal life or at work and thought to yourself, there must be a better way to do this? Welcome to On Change, the podcast that explores change that works and the people who make it happen. And now from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Pietro Dupisani. This morning I'm welcoming Tracy, Bernard and Lisa from Thinkspiration into the studio. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks so much. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? What was your family life like? Tracy. I grew up very close to here in Joburg. And I think probably one of the, the key things that shaped my, my early life and, and even still influences me today is when I was 10 years old, I dreamed of winning Wimbledon. I never did, otherwise you would have heard. <laughs> but I did spend a lot of time on the tennis court chasing a ball around. Um, I, went, I got a scholarship to a U.S. university. And I think, you know, a lot of things that I learned on the tennis court um, helped me still in the work that I do today. I learned the power of, of strategy, of outwitting, not outhitting your opponent, because I'm not as big as some of the, my opponents were in those days. Um, and I also learned the power of visualizing something, the power of having a dream. Um, of sort of going into the future and thinking about what you need to do to actually to actually get there. My scholarship was cut short by a back injury. Um, I came back to South Africa. I then went to uh, UJ. In those days it was Rao. Um, and I studied communication. I did a BA communication. I went into advertising. Um, and I, I think that's where I was a strategic planner. Um, but that's where my love for turning a sort of dry, complicated business strategy into a story that would be compelling, that would be emotional, that would influence people. That's where it really started. So um, I spent quite a long time in advertising, a few years um, at the big agencies. But in that process, I think what I realized was, you know, advertising, the question you always ask is, what makes 
this different? What makes us different, the company? And nine times out of ten, the answer comes back as our people. You know, our people are these amazing, you know, they're, they're amazing and they, they, they are differentiator. And it got me interested. It sparked my interest in are the people, do they know that they are sort of the, the key deliverers of, of the competitive advantage? So I got interested in and, and went to, to speak to some of these people and, you know, find out, like, are they sort of creating the magic there? And of course, you can imagine, um, they were like, oh, if only this day would end, you know. So th- I, what, what happened was I perceived there to be a real opportunity inside companies to apply some of the principles that I'd seen work very effectively externally in the advertising space, story, segmentation, branding. Um, and I, I did my MBA dissertation on that, um, very theoretical. Um, I had lots of ideas. And I was really looking for um, a client or a place to see if any of this would work. Um, And that's where um, I intersected with, in a very unlikely way, the gold mining industry, um, who at the time, I mean, mining, as you know, it's it's sort of almost a, a microcosm of our society. It's got every demographic. And one of the key challenges is how do you get a rock drill operator um, to understand, care about, believe, deliver, um, you know, on, on things like strategy that are conceptualized in the boardroom. So I guess the big thing that, that happened there was I found a client um, that had a, that I guess there was an alignment in terms of um, what what we wanted to do, you know, in terms of, of changing how things were, and that was harmony. And I feel like I shouldn't, I should leave it there and carry <laughs> on the story. Um, but, but that was the beginning of quite a life-changing experience in terms of career, personally, um, in terms of really being able to deliver on things that, that change people's lives and, and do things differently. Bernard, what is your story? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a mining town, Rustenburg, went to school there. Uh, towards the end of my high school career, my dad got retrenched, as things happen, on, especially the platinum industry in those sort of days. I stuck around, lived with neighbors, and when I um, applied for bursaries, in the end, the bursary I could get was the sort of mining industry. There were only guys desperate enough you know, for a guy with a decent uh, metric. I went into mining, um, and that coincided with a with a time in the early 80s when the National Union of Mine Workers actually changed the whole sort of dynamic of the country and uh, and the uh, mining industry. Old generation of sort of older managers uh, retired the moment they could. They were not going to have this trouble with this sort of difficult workers, well organized under Cyril or Guede, you know, stirrers like that. And so that resulted in my generation sort of gravitating to senior positions very, very quickly. And I mean, one of my colleagues used to joke that I was a shift boss and a mine captain for about five minutes each. And I mean, but we literally, you know, uh, got to senior positions at, at young ages. And my history in the industry was always on marginal mines. You know, the, the group I was in had really tough mines and uh, I struggled making mines profitable. I had to, uh, um, you know, get people to give me ideas of how could we do things differently. And so somewhere in my early 30s or so, I ended up on Beatrix, which was a great asset uh, in the free state owned by Genk or the company I worked for, but right next to Harmony. So I became aware of Harmony. And to cut a long story short, very briefly after I got at uh, Beatrix, I was asked to become the managing director of Harmony. 
must have been about 1993 or 4 thereabout. Harmony was, was interesting because it was earmarked for closure. Its official business plan was called Closure with Dignity. You can imagine the excitement in the life of 40,000 miners to go underground into a harsh environment to pursue closure with dignity. You know. Of course, it didn't close. We managed to turn it around, made it profitable, set out on a growth strategy. And that got me to the point where it was weird. It was great. I mean, you know, I was on front page of newspapers, magazines wrote about the magic harmony way. When I presented in New Orleans or London, you know, often it was like, you know, standing room only. And yet back at home, back in Valcom in the Free State, I got the sense that the workers were not as excited about this corporate strategy as the shareholders and my management team was. And so I set out to say, there must be a way. If we are a great story, if this harmony story is, is so good, why is it that most of the people in the company don't feel that, don't live that, you know, aren't aligned? And, and so uh, I obviously came from the industry. I knew what didn't work. I uh, had no idea what would work. And so I started looking around for fresh ideas, different ideas, and bumped into a crazy bunch of people of which Tracy was just one. To be fair, she was probably the most normal of that crazy bunch, you know what I mean? And so uh, that's really the sort of the journey up to when I, as a, as a sort of supposedly successful uh, CEO and business leader, realized that if we want to uh, bring our people along, we're going to have to uh, do things uh, a little bit differently. And the third person this morning is Elisa Shippey. Tell us your story. How did you find your way all the way to now being in Thingspiration? I was born in the little town of Coxstad, which um, I always think no one's going to know where it is, but everyone seems to know. It's a little town, and it's now it's KZN. It used to be East Greekland and then Western Cape. My dad was old SABC. And my mom always tells me about my, my love for books and reading and learning and ideas. Back then, she talks about finding me sitting under the covers with a torch, reading my book, you know, way, way, way after bedtime, and always just grew up, then moved to Durban, then to Joburg, always loved books, ideas, learning. There's always more to know. There's always more to understand. Went through school, just um, loving people, loving learning. I can remember... Um, a moment in a history lesson, this is old South Africa, apartheid South Africa, suddenly realizing just the unbelievable injustice that was happening in our country and a lot of awakening happening then. And then um, in terms of career, working in NGOs with community, coaching, counseling, training, and all of this time just loving the idea of putting ideas and learning together with helping people. And I guess that's what brought me to Thinkspiration, which is very much an organization that's passionate about bringing humanity back into the workplace, but also striving for high performance at the same time. So what was the sort of defining moment in your life where you decided that you'd like to be able to teach people how to tell stories? When did you decide that that's the way you want to be spending the rest of your life? I don't think it was a specific moment that I can remember, but I think there was, you know, from the sort of advertising background you can see the impact. You can see when an ad grabs people, that emotional, how people remember it, you know, all the, all the principles of storytelling that really work. So I think I was always attracted to that. And then, you know, in combination with that, but I didn't realize, you know, what, what was really the magic, what was really working. I didn't understand it like I understand it now, I guess. And then, you know, watching leaders 
certain leaders, you know, they, they stand up and they're just compelling communicators. Like what what is the what is the sort of secret sauce in that recipe? So I guess bringing together some of those principles that work externally in external marketing, applying that internally, seeing what leaders can do with that. It was really that sort of the culmination of all of those things together. And then obviously creating, forming Thinkspiration, which is, is what that's what we focus on helping companies communicate, distill their strategies into a compelling story. We, we work with the visual, creating a visual story, and then also train and capacitate leaders to, to, to tell that story orally using you know, oral storytelling skills. So I think that you know, just seeing the power of how bringing all of that together really works. People are different. People change. You know, even if in a storytelling workshop, the, the vibe changes, the energy changes, people start smiling. And, you know, as Lisa said earlier, you really start seeing the, huma- the humanity, the humans um, start appearing in the workplace, which I think is, is really, really the secret to engagement and performance. I've been studying change and change management for a, a couple of years, I guess, now. And for me, it really fits in with uh, what's in it for me. So mm. if you're thinking about people, that, like Bernard was saying earlier, if you've got somebody all the way from a rock roll operator to yeah. see how do you connect mm. your vision and strategy to people mm. who, exactly. and, and t- so they can tell their own stories. Mm. They can say, this mm. is what it's going to mean for me. That's what it's in, mm. for, what's in it for me. If you want to change something, how's it going to change my life at various levels in the organization? I was a bit like a, like a cricket player who practiced cricket day in and day out. I was a storyteller, but nobody told me. I was mm. meant to make sense for people. I was meant to interpret corporate strategy to what is in it for me, the rock roll operator. Mm. And I did that. And I stumbled along and I found that sometimes I had better interactions. You know? Now, remember those days, a lot of the communication I did in the organization was in bad English, like I speak, and funna galore which we all spoke, but nobody spoke, you know. And so then you need to find ways in which to get complex concepts across, you know, by simplifying. I had to stand up in in front of audience of 10,000 hostile workers. You need to connect. Now, nobody told me there's a concept of a connection story, but common sense says if you can get the audience to think of you as another human being, you are some way towards achieving Mm. your objective. I mean, leadership is influencing people. Now, influencing can be manipulation, but it doesn't have to be. It can actually be exciting people about a better future and let's join and go together. Now, later in life, you learn that they're actually recipes. You know? Storytelling is a simple thing. We all do it. I mean, we, we, we get our values from our parents through stories. You know? We get our beliefs. All the big things in our lives got transferred from another generation to us that way. That's what we do. At home, we're all storytellers. Look at a bunch of guys around the bry fire. I mean, they can't shut up long enough for somebody else to finish their story because my story is also worth telling. And at work, we become mm. PowerPoint slide presenters. You know, we write reports in flippant high English that nobody understands. And so I stumbled along and I sort of discovered this game of leadership and storytelling by looking at other people, by seeing what worked for me, by and then afterwards, I think, geez, but I wish somebody took the time when I was 20 and said, young man, you're actually going to be a leader and therefore you're going to be a storyteller and here are the basic skills. And that's why it feels to me like surely we can help young people, younger people, anybody 
to have the skills and they're so basic. They're almost embarrassingly simple and basic. But I see there's something like there's a recipe behind telling a story. What types of stories do you teach people? There are a number of templates that we teach for storytelling. The, uh, connect, we talk about the connection story, we talk about a strategy story, we talk about an influence story, and these are kind of recipes with, if you like, headings or introductory sentences that the storyteller can then continue from. For example, when introducing a strategy, a strategy change, one can start by talking about in the past, you know, this is what happened. Then, then something happened something's happened that's meant that a change is necessary and then one can talk about what we're going to do now followed by where we're going what could become and the idea behind this is that it contextualizes change it contextualizes what we're wanting to say if you like it it, it brings that connection um, with the audience with those who are listening so they can really really understand where we're going with this mm. so that's an example of the kind of template that we would use do you think you can teach anybody to tell a story or do you have to be a, does it have a natural storyteller? You can teach anybody. I mean, even I could be taught. It really, truly is so simple because everybody are already, it's like saying, can you teach anybody to speak? But people are speaking. Now you can say, can I teach you to be a public speaker? That's the refinement. We tell stories. That's who we are. We really, there's not a culture in the world that doesn't use story as the generational transfer of values and who we are. So we use it for the most important thing. And then the refining, then the making it simpler and, and make people aware that, you know, a 90-second version of a story is a hell of a lot more compelling than droning on for 30 minutes. Those are the skills part, definitely. It can be taught to uh, each and everybody, I would argue. I absolutely agree. I think, you know, our natural language, as Bernard said, is uh, as humanity is story. And I think that it's more sometimes, you know, having been doing this for a few years, it's more about what we have to unlearn sometimes. You know, stories are all around us. But when you when you walk into the workplace, you sort of there's almost this switch off the human button and go into abstract language. You know, let's use words like strategy and mission and vision and values. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those, but stories can bring that to life. Um, often when we teach storytelling, um, people will go, but, but where do I find stories? And, you know, the thing is, they actually are all around us. We live them every day, but we don't think of bringing our lived experiences into the workplace. And when you do that, it becomes vibrant, it becomes diverse, it becomes colorful, memorable and impactful, and most of all, human. Their techniques and ideas that if one is mindful of them and intentionally practicing them, uh, things like looking for stories, having a moment that was hilarious or made an impact on you and thinking, oh my goodness, this is such a brilliant story to use to emphasize ABC. Also learning how to ask questions to draw stories from others. Mm. Tell me about a time when, uh, tell me about your experience. Those kind of stories just elicit the most fantastic stories that we can pass on. Also becoming an avid, obsessed story collector is a is a is a fantastic thing when it's when it's top of mind you start to do it naturally. I think one of the most uh, common feedbacks we get after um, coaching people for a day or two days is that they understand that one should be deliberate about this. I never go into a meeting anymore where it doesn't naturally come to me to think, okay, I'm going to meet these guys. It's probably five guys. They may be younger than me. 
you know, it's such a common sense thing. Think about your audience and then how you're going to connect, you know. If you want to convey a specific message, you know, in what context you're going to do it, you know, are you going to share, share a success story with them, you know, are you going to help them understand that, you know, I understand your challenge, what you are trying to resolve, you know. You tell a success story which says, you know, this is Jane. Jane is just like you. She also had a problem. She then did whatever she did, and now her problems resolved. Now, can you imagine internally in a corporate world where we all have internal customers? If you think that way about how you communicate in an organization, our communications will be better. It won't be emails and only emails, but it will be better because we connect in a human language as humans. So that deliberateness, at the end of, of, of the day or two days, if we send the, the people back into the organization thinking of storytelling as a legitimate business leadership tool and to be deliberate about it, then they find it so easy because they have always been storytellers. Having been the recipients of one of your courses and going through the whole process, I think one of the things that's been most valuable to me is to now start collecting stories and to figure out which story will I use with, with, with whatever message I'm trying to drive. Like my, my day job is business improvement. So the story that I have to sell to most people is through the work that I do, I'm going to save you time. Mm, I'm going mm, to give you time mm, back. Mm. And what does that mean for that person? Right. You know, so you have to think about in each meeting, as you go inside, into that meeting, what is it that I need to sell? You know, how am I going to exactly. yeah, convince mm. these people that the, the work that, that I'm going to bring to them is going to make a difference in their life? Mm. The best way to connect is definitely through storytelling. So having said all of that, I'm going to ask each of you to tell me a story that changed your life. The story that changed my life was was getting involved with Harmony. I'll never forget, it was actually the last week of March 2000, I think, yes. I was with a, a working with a group of people. Um, we were sort of targeting the mining industry, um, seeing what we, could, what we could bring in terms of internal communication. And we had a, a meeting set up on, we had two meetings set up with two different gold mining company, Exco's, um, the first meeting was uh, uh, on the Monday and we, we walked into this very um, sort of conventional mining company, um, sort of plush carpets, you know, pictures on the wall of old founders looking down at you. And, you know, I'll never forget that meeting of sort of, there were sort of 10 male white faces looking at me across that polished mahogany table as I sort of, you know, expounded on my views of how we needed to change the industry and the the CEO of that company at the time sort of looked me up and down and said, so, lovey, do you really expect me to believe you're going to go out there and change the way that my minds operate? And, I mean, it was it was so patronizing and I sort of died a thousand deaths and I thought, that's it, um, I'm not doing that. So I said to my partner, listen, there is no ways. Um, we're not doing this, we're not going. And he said, listen, but we've got this this harmony meeting set up for Thursday. We've got to do it. Like, we can't get out of it. It's with the executive team. And I said, listen, I'm not going. You go. Um, you know, anyway, long story short, he convinced me to go along. And it really was, you know, uh, as Monty Python says, and now for something completely different. <laughs> Harmony at the time had just uh, done a hostile takeover of Ranfantine. Um, I don't think Ranfantine liked them very much uh, because they didn't have any offices. So we had to meet at the um, the Ranfantine Club, which was this in this. I don't think a club was too bad, but we, they put us in an awful room of sort of musty and old smelling and mismatched tables and chairs. 
Um, and I remember standing there waiting for this, you know, at the time Harmony's profile in the press was, was very high and they, you know, called sort of mavericks of the industry and I thought, now how are they going to arrive? You know, they're going to come in a helicopter or how, you know. And out of the corner of my eye, I spotted, um, uh, I thought it was a waiter in sort of jeans, very, very informally dressed, sort of golf shirt, slip slops. And I was just about to to ask him, you know, please bring me another Diet Coke. And this guy stepped forward and said, hi, I'm Bernard Swanable. <laughs> so luckily I didn't make that mistake. Um, but the meeting that followed with Bernard and his team was just, um, you know, a, a life-changing meeting because, you know, yes, it was gold mining, not an industry that I ever thought, or mining, that I ever thought I would go into. But it was about what, you know, Harmony's purpose was, to change the industry to do things differently, to turn conventional thinking on its head. Um, and, and, you know, that, that harmony story was something that was real um, and that I bought into right from the outset. So if in answer to your question, it was the harmony story that really did change my life. My story is a little, uh, perhaps a, a little more personal, not so much work-related. About 19 years ago, um, a very, very dear friend of mine, she is uh, Zimbabwean. He is from KwaZulu-Natal, um, and we'd uh, be, been building a friendship with them. They had a, a little baby, a little little boy, gorgeous little boy, I think under one year old, and he drowned. This is about 19 years ago, and um, it was just a, a, an absolutely tragic day, but um, I remember arriving at the house, um, she was uh, still wet from having come back from the hospital, and um, we said, you know, what, 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 what would you like us to do, what can we do, and she said, just, you know, just gather people from our, our church, gather people that we know, and um, from there began a, a week of interacting with this family every day, um, being with them, uh, having supper, sharing memories, and just seeing and um, having a having a look into uh, the grieving process um, of of this beautiful uh, family. Just being immersed into another culture through friendships and relationships made me realise um, the the richness of cross cultural connection, the importance. Of relationships, the importance of not taking anyone at face value, but getting to know them, becoming involved in their story, becoming involved in their lives, um, makes you richer, makes you wiser. We are so much better together. We're so much better connecting with people who are different than us, uh, coming from a different culture than us. It was a it was a life changing, beautiful, enriching moment. Tragic, but gave us um, access to another culture, another way of doing things that uh, I certainly carry with me, always. So I've never thought of a specific uh, story that changed my life. But I often, uh, when we communicate the importance of storytelling, I say, I can tell you a story of the day a story saved my life. Um, I was meant to go and address a very hostile group of people, anti-mining industry, Vali Musa, this then... Um, chairman of Anglo-American said, listen, I just can't do this because of my profile and so on. When you go and speak to these people, I didn't ask enough questions about why would I be so dumb. And as we walk in, the facilitator came and said, listen, this is hostile, but I will protect you. Now, it was half my size. I didn't feel, I didn't take much comfort out of it. And he smelled of booze. So I thought the drunk small guy is going to protect me. Tracy was with me. She went and sat right at the door, you know, like any good wife. She was going to make sure she's safe for the kids' sake, you know. I mean, so, uh, um, 
And this was this was a a, a group uh, that was just anti mining. They were very involved in the Marikana um, situation, and they had reason to think of me as a representative of an industry that was evil. Um, and I, you know, obviously in preparation and thinking about it, uh, I agreed with Trace that I need to connect with these people. Yes, I am an ex-CEO of a mining company. Yes, I am white and privileged and rich, and they not. But there's always a level where you truly are just human beings, you know. And I actually told him the story of how I grew up in Rustenburg and my dad got retrained, and that dramatically impacted on us as a family. It really set our family on a different course as to where we logically thought we would go. And out of that came a set of circumstances which got me into the mining industry. And at the end of it, I really, truly got standing applause. Now, that's not what I was pursuing, but that's a story and the impact of a story and we strip away the suits and the ties and the titles and we are human beings and we're actually all okay. I was very, very fortunate uh, last year to be part of a, a team that was um, deployed by our CEO to speak to as many people across our, all of our operations. And the purpose of the, the interactions was to eliminate fatalities in our in our mm. group, okay. So mm. we were called the Elimination of Fatalities Task Force, and we spoke to people. I, I think I visited each and every operation across the whole of South Africa, and we spoke to people all the way from operators through to their management level, and asked them to tell us uh, their stories. So, what if they look around in the area that they're working? What do they think can be improved, and and what do they think they think can be better? And for me, that was so powerful to hear all of those stories mm. across, mm. across from mining vessels to um, down underground in in close to the face people operating rock uh, rock drills, um, through to driving on trains with people mm. you know, for thirty mm. minutes and just hearing mm. their story, Wonderful. and it completely changed my perspective on the work that I'm currently doing as well because it you sort of wonder if all of the corporate strategy you come up with is actually filtering down to these people and what do they think it actually mm. means for them and having spoken to so many people i think over 2000 conversations you know you sort of realize that if you want to change anything or put any sort of corporate strategy into place you have to think like you're speaking to those guys mm. yeah. you know how are you going to get mm. those guys behind you and what story can you tell to Really get them on board if you mm. wanted if you wanted to mm. change the direction of a company. It's no. such a good it's such a good point. I always remember um, when I was doing my communication degree. I think it was first or second year. You know, they they told us now this is the model of communication. Okay, and you know it's from the engineering sciences because you know we were just like a soft little little discipline. We wanted to make ourselves feel more important by having this engineering model, and the model was sender. Um, message receiver and then the feedback loop, you know. So that was like how we were indoctrinated. This is communication. The sender sends the message, the receiver gets the message, and then there's feedback. And after many, many years of, you know, working in in advertising, in mining, in, in lots of different industries, I came to exactly the point that you've made is that you actually need to start. We've got the model backwards. You need to start with the receiver. Where are they coming from? What are they thinking about? So in our sort of methodology of, of going about this, 
that's where we start because everything that we do from a corporate strategy point of view, obviously you know what your strategy is, but starting with the receiver is the mo- and where they're coming from and what's in it for me and all of those conversations that you've had is definitely the most powerful way to go. So I, I just want to say that message, that, that model um, needs to be chucked out and turned on its head. <laughs> so as a 21-year-old graduate, I was very clever in my own mind. I just had a mining engineering degree. And I was forced to go through all the levels in the organization, starting to get my shift to get a blasting license to become a miner. Now, those days, you then had to share the change houses with the miners. That's where towards the end of the apartheid year, so there was job reservation. So these were old white men, often haven't finished matric or so because, I mean, it was job protection and mining was one of the sort of protected jobs. And I would sit in a change house there. Now, you know what it's like in a change house at the end of the shift. Most men, it's not like the Springbok change house. We were not wearing um, underpants in the national colors. It's typically naked old men sitting around being served their bad coffee by the change house boss boy, as they were called. And what amazed me was the quality of conversations. Now, I was a graduate. I was young. I was inexperienced. I was living the challenges of mining on a marginal, loss-making gold mine. And some of these guys had deep insight and all of them cared. Then you would go out and the conversations changed and you would report to the shift boss and you would say, yeah, yeah, but you can't say that. You know, we have to say we're on target, you know. And by the time you, you know, spoke to the mine captain, it was now higher English and no longer factual. And it, it stayed with me throughout my career that deeper into the organization, Firstly, the people care, and secondly, the actually have got some really significant practical suggestions, as per your own story. You know, if you go and you find the stories in the organization, that may not necessarily change the strategy, but it will make the link between the strategy and what is happening on the ground real. And that's what we do in Thinkspiration, as you know. I mean, Tracy's got an amazing ability to conceptualize all these McKinsey PowerPoint slides into a visual story, an analogy. But before you can make that a successful leadership and communication tool, you need to go onto the ground, under the ground in some cases, and go and listen to the people and hear where they are. Because that that disconnect is the misalignment or the lack of alignment which is costing companies billions and billions and billions of rand because we say we are going north and we forgot to tell our people and they don't know where north is and they don't agree with north and so they are off into their own directions and no disciplinary procedure or standing operating procedure or anything can fix that. So the leadership obligation of painting a compelling future but grounded in the reality of where your people uh, are at that time, I mean, that's leadership 101. Uh, yeah, just just to agree with that, where, where Trace's background was communications and, and Bernard's with the mining man was more psychology and social psychology just emphasizes again and again, the way to dismantle stereotypes is actually really to get closer to the person and hear a little bit about their stories. And in the, in the absence of really knowing what is going on, we make assumptions about people, about where they're at, and asking for their stories, getting to know a little bit more, sitting in a change house and hearing the the heart, hearing the ideas, hearing the solutions that are actually created on the ground by people who genuinely want to make a difference and do work better, 
just is, is absolutely fantastic. So leaning in to relationships and connections and storytelling is going to work for good on so many levels in an organization. Through the thousands of conversations our group had last year, I, I came to the conclusion that almost every single person we spoke to wanted to make a mm. difference. They wanted, yeah. to, they wanted to be able to show up at work and add value and be Correct. a person who's actually – I didn't come across a, a, certain, a, a single person who – was there to create chaos. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're all there to, yeah. what they want to provide for their families. They want to go yeah. home on time. They don't want to have to be underground for longer than they have to be. And, you know, just getting into a, a train carriage or a, mm. with a, a, a train operator and spending his journey with him. So he, from going from the, from the one side of the mine to the other side of the mine, roughly 40 minutes, sit and just have a 40 minute conversation with mm. this person Stunning. and, when you get off at the other side, he said, you know, nobody's ever done that. Exactly. Nobody's the ever, thing. Nobody's yeah. ever the thing. from, I've never seen anybody mm. from management come and sit for 40 minutes with mm. me next year and listen to all the things that's bothering me. And he had had a couple of simple suggestions. Like he'd say, you see this crossing we're going through at the moment, it doesn't have a mm. gate. Mm. So if you wanted to be a safe operation or prevent mm. fatalities, that sort of thing, if you just put a gate for us here, you know, that closes over the road where I'm mm. going over with my, my train, it's going to make a huge difference. Mm. That's, the, that's, the, that's the part, because you asked the question, so in your daily life of being this train, dry, train operator, what are the things that bother you the most? You know, what are the things that you are most worried about? Which areas are where you get a feeling of that I don't want to actually be here? Mm. And they tell you. Yeah. And so the, mm. all they take, there might be in a plant and, and the, the person will take your hand literally and say, come, I want to show you. Mm. And they'll go and they'll go, look, wow. look, something's fallen down here and it's not safe. And if you ask them to tell their stories, they'll tell you where the next fatality is coming from. They'll tell you. And then you can prevent it. But uh, now often, yeah. imagine him going back tonight after shift. What is the story he goes and shares with wherever, whether he goes to a hostel or whether he goes back home. He says, you know what happened today? For the first time, somebody came and listened mm. to me. Mm. He falls in love with the organization. Mm. I mean, that is how we fall in love. We can't yeah. shut up and listen enough to the other one. Late in life, we change it and we talk more <laughs> and we fight. And, <laughs> but no, it's the dynamic of I, I'm seen, I'm mm. heard, I'm important enough that mm. somebody asks my opinion. I mean, uh, it's for free. This is so cheap. Now, of course, it takes your time. But what are leaders there for? What are we there for Ooh. if we're not there to listen to our people and to make them feel important? I mean, we can actually save on bonuses, dare I say. <laughs> I often think, you know, when, um, when we, whenever we start an intervention, the first thing we do is we, we conduct listening sessions, very similar to, to what you've described. And we get the same kind of, you know, obviously we're external consultants, but people are just so dying to be heard, dying to voice their opinions. And their opinions are actually very, very good, very insightful. And I often say, you know, to, to leaders, leading companies, this is like the secret, this is the secret recipe. It costs nothing um, and it makes an incredible difference. But it takes time. Um, the benefits are, are, are unquantifiable, I think. We did an acquisition of a neighboring mine in the free state. We were Harmony... And the mine was, actually it was all of the free gold assets. And the unions were up in arms. They had perceived ideas about who we were as harmony. And there was just no progress. And the transaction was going smoothly, but the relationship was totally disastrous. 
Tracy said to me, but have you ever met Duncan Malefani? I said, no, of course I know he's, he's, he's my problem, you know. Anyway, to make a really uh, uh, long, longer story get to the point is, he insisted that he will only see me if I drive through on a Saturday morning to come and see him. So he's deliberately difficult. Went through to Virginia and the Free State. Those days I was living in Johannesburg. And I sat and I chatted and he gave me all the demands and why they are going to go to the competition commission to block this deal. And, and it took time. And he had to get all this stuff out. Why he hates me and the company and this. And he hates Anglo Gold as well. But, you know. And as he got all of that off, we talked and talked. And I got to ask him about him and where is he from. And then he shares with me how his brother who worked on Unicell, died on Unicell soon after We as Harmony took it over. Now, this is his story. This is the story by which he has decided who I am, who Harmony is, and how it impacted in his life. Now, if you don't get there, then you are stuck in demands and counter-demands and threats of strikes and legal action and CCMA cases. And when you... I mean, now, just recognizing that his story... It's, 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 a, it's an experience that he lived through. You can then engage on a different level. That's why until we haven't connected as human beings, we are actually treating each other like robots. Last year had a huge impact in my life. I mean, and it, it, it completely changed the way in which I interact from then onwards. You know, mm. every single piece of work that we do now is around what impact is that now going to have on those people that I had the opportunity to speak mm. to in a complete, completely different project. Yeah. You know, that, that yeah. was the sort of a side project. Mm. Um, but it influenced the way in which I do my work now, mm. which is, I think, you, you can't get any better than that. And this is really true why people say, you know, why are you as a ex-executive doing this? I say if there are two things I could share with younger people who are inevitably going to end up managing and leading, is learn to listen because that is that experience. No? And then learn to communicate better through using stories. Those are two skills that I really, you know, yes, of course math is important and, you know, there's no harm in being an engineer and you can even go and waste your time on an MBA if you really have to. But <laughs> the two key absolute skills, and they are they are actually not hard now. Just learn to listen. You know, just shut up and let the other person open up and share. And then uh, obviously um, use the power of stories as a, as a, as a leadership tool in, in order to influence and communicate. Building up on, upon that theme, um, what techniques, tips and tricks do you have for people who'd like to incorporate storytelling as they're in their repertoire of management tools? It's about the mindset. So, of course, there are specific skills that you can learn about that make, you know, you can go from zero to 100 quickly. And I think the great thing is that it's, it doesn't have to be this natural talent, you know, wow. You, it's actually a recipe. You, everybody can do this. Um, so there are definite practical things that you can do. Um, you know, specific story frameworks, etc. But even in the absence of that, it's really about thinking about stories that things that happen every day all around us. 
Um, and what is the, you know, what is the business point? That's what we call it. What is the point that, that you could use to make that, you know, to make a business point about it? I mean, my son, Zach, quite, quite a few years ago, um, our son, Zach, um, although I'd like to take ownership of him <laughs> in this, but um, he was busy uh, in about grade two and they were, um, the teacher was very enthusiastic to get them to read more. Now, Zach always was a great reader, you know, so the, but the, she put in place an incentive program. She said, you know, um, kids, if you, the more, if you read for 10 minutes a day, you'll get a little tick. And then when you've got 10 ticks, you'll get a little apple on the tree and then you'll have a full tree of apples and, and all of that. So all great. Zach at the time was reading for way longer than 10 minutes. Um, and then he started, as this program was introduced, only reading for 10 minutes. So I said to him, but why are you reading for 10 minutes? He said, because I've, I've done my 10 minutes. And therein lies the problem of incentives. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, stories are all around us. And I think the tip is really just to, to obviously know the basics. What is the story? To be able to make them short Mm. to the point and to know the point, the business point mm. that you're making. Mm. That would be my... Yeah, yeah. My I, think, I think those are absolutely the two key things is the in the work environment, I mean, you know, in a meeting, it has to be a story with a purpose. There has to be a business reason for telling the story. Um, and the shorter the better. And we all struggle with that because, geez, I mean, I need to give context. But after t 10 minutes, if you're still busy talking context, people have moved on. Um, and then uh, I think the bold, the boldness to do, to be deliberate about it. You know, I really think, why is it that the moment we stand outside when when the guys are smoking or you know when we drink coffee at the water cooler, then stories are okay, and it's almost as if when we walk through a set of glass doors into a boardroom, we need to be more formal. I think it's the deliberateness and the and the go out to do that with an objective in mind is all I would add. The, the partner that we work with in Australia, the material that we teach and present, it's, it's called Anecdote. It's based in Australia. They have a fantastic website and mm. um, lots of lovely information, ideas for business storytelling. And then if you do the course, obviously you get to know how to construct certain narratives. For example, the, the important points in a story is firstly you want a, a time or place marker. It's great to talk about when or where something happened. Then it's great to talk about um, a series of events then an interaction between people, and then possibly a wow moment or a realization that is connected to a business point. Now, that's so simple. It's, it's, the, it's the anecdote recipe. We're not taking credit for that at all. Um, and, and bearing that in mind, you can see how to construct a, a, a very easy story. You can make notes. Don't write out the whole story um, anywhere at all. Just make a note of where, where, where you were, when it happened, what the scene was, and, and also to include emotion. In, in stories are so important. You know, if you think about movies and books that have moved you, they're generally books and movies where there was emotion. There were real human realities. Um, there was a rawness and, a, and a, something that connected with the reality of life. So bearing those sort of things in mind, if you give yourself 10 minutes a day just to think in terms of stories, you're on your way. I do quite a lot of training for work. So uh, we teach people new skills, that sort of thing. And I think I've been much more deliberate about thinking about where would stories mm. get the message across mm. better? Because people learn in different styles. Mm. So some people are audio, they, they like to listen to stories and mm. that's how they learn. Some people like to see a picture. You know, mm. Some people want to experience it, do it for them to be able to, to understand it. Uh, but yeah, if you, if you can be very deliberate about, you know, 
this this specific piece of the training material um, would be more effective if I told the story right here. And mm. I think it just, just takes more planning. You know, if you really want to get your material across, you have to be deliberate about how you're going to actually um, strategize, you know, about how you're going to put this whole course material mm. together. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I find myself, you know, the planning and the preparation that we do, you know, if there's a big presentation or a two-day workshop or whatever, it's always the thinking through what are the right stories to tell. I mean, the material is the material, but it's always the thinking of how you're going to connect with, you know, with the audience. Um, the other thing I think that's important to realize is when you're telling stories, nine times out of ten, you are going to reveal mm. something about mm. yourself. So mm. it's it's quite so you've got to be prepared to be vulnerable. You know, not all stories are good stories um, about you. Um, and you've also got to be prepared to be authentic. But I think that's where storytelling is such a powerful tool because mm. leaders need to be prepared to be seen um, for the humans that they are. Um, and people love that. Um, but it's a very different style to putting, you know, 100 PowerPoint slides together with little, you know, abstract bullet points on it. Um, you know, but it, but it's, it's well worth it in the end. I do think that's the the reason why what is so natural and comfortable in our private lives becomes unnatural in the work environment. It, it goes to that we need to be authentic, we need to be who we really are, and that uh, comes with vulnerability, as Trey said, and that is unfortunately not the corporate culture, it's not the male culture, it's not the white culture, and you bring all of that together into the corporate world in which we all interact, and you can see, well, the same guy who would shout and scream at rugby or cry at his daughter's wedding has to be this rough, ready, sir, mister, suit and tie person, you know, with three secretaries between him and the world. And so so we, you know, we, we, we fight against a set of rules, but you can say that's the reason it's hard, but I think anybody who's prepared to be authentic and and tell stories will discover that that vulnerability actually draws people. People see the real human being. I think one of the things that I found that's most humorous for me in the in the corporate world is people using the corporate lingo and jargon mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yes. And I collect them, you know, because I think <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> you get all of these phrases yeah. that people use of we're going to be find synergies and we're mm. going to sunset that idea, okay? Or let's, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my current favorite is onboarding. I just onboarding. want to be onboarded once, preferably in an ocean when I'm busy drowning. Unfortunately, <laughs> Zach is our son has sort of, uh, you know, uh, picked up a a lot of this via osmosis so he will say he will there was quite a few years ago i don't know if you ever came across this there was this little game that was called buzzword bingo <laughs> and you would sit in a meeting and you would cross them off and zach you know i told him about it one day and he now if you use any of those phrases he goes buzzword bingo <laughs> <laughs> of course after that is when you get to the three letter acronyms you know, when you get to a company <laughs> and 120 acronyms that you need to read before you can even read the chairman's statement. You know, I mean, it's like, guys, come on. You, know, so you have to be onboarded with the acronyms. You get a whole list. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I think we should sunset that. <laughs> it's just park it. <laughs> I, love, I love parking. I can go, people will tell me a whole bunch of stuff. I'll go, hmm, that's interesting. I'm just going to park it over here and then I'll we'll do think a about it later. <laughs> yeah. With all due respect. What is the best feedback that you ever got as a result of the work that you do? 
obviously things that people say. I mean, one recent um, person that was involved in one of our interventions. So I don't even I don't even know the person, but the the client took you know took a video and sent us video clips of people really just. It's not even the words that they say; it's how they look. They look alive. They look excited. And this woman said, "You know, I can't believe I've never seen anything like this. I'm so excited. I would work here for nothing." You know, um, so I think it's it's about when you see that light go on in people's eyes. Um, when they and I think that's the light of the what's mm. in it for me connecting to the purpose of the business. It's that. Um, Another um, sort of key uh, moment that I always remember is this was in the Harmony days. I went to a um, the NUM conference in, in the Parktonian Hotel. Um, and after that sort of stopped singing and dancing and sort of got down, we're about to get down to business. Um, the general secretary of the NUM at the time stood up um, to, to talk strategy. Um, and there to my absolute, my heart nearly stopped beating was the, the Harmony visual strategy map that we'd put together, um, which was a picture, a picture of the Harmony strategy. And, you know, without missing a beat, he flawlessly, spoke about the Harmony strategy, what this meant for the NUM. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, it does work. We did a uh, full intervention for a coal mining company. Um, and as always, they asked us to come and help them to speak to them, the people, lower down. You know, They don't get the strategy. And uh, after the intervention, the CFO was a very smart, clever, strong professional. Uh, she said, if I'm honest, I now get it for the first time. That's the feedback that I think is so spectacular. As you start thinking, of course I get it. This is our language. You know, we speak this MBA stuff. It's for them. And for her to at the end admit that perhaps for the first time she really, really, really gets the strategy herself now. It's the type mm. of feedback that excites mm. me. Yeah. yeah, I think I agree with that. The, that idea that there are brilliant ideas that are coming out all the time about the world of work. You know, if you look at the rigorous research that's happening about what works, how to get people to perform brilliantly, how to create an environment where everyone is excelling and engaged and innovative and agile, a lot of those those things aren't really being lived out in the world of work itself. So there's this academic understanding of things. And perhaps what I love about the feedback we get is that people see how to practically do it, how to tomorrow start applying what they've learned. This is something I can do tomorrow immediately and give you feedback on. And then also, of course, just the, the excitement, as Trey said, the light in people's eyes. Um, there's a sense of connectivity. There's a sense of energy. There's a sense of hope. There's a sense of I can actually do this that people, people leave the interventions with, which for me is just the most satisfying thing. Having done, gone through the course that you guys present, for me, it was something that you could use immediately. It wasn't like I have to now go and study the material and then figure out how I'm going to apply this. It was the very next day you can go, let me think about how, what stories I want to tell about this material and you can use it immediately. Mm. And that was, Fantastic. yeah. Thank you. And then I, what I liked about it a lot as well, you get these little feedback emails for weeks afterwards, which remind you about all the stuff that you've learned mm. and you're going, oh, I must remember to do a story repository. I mm. must go and select stories and find stories, that sort of thing. And it just reminds you, oh, yeah, I still, oh, I still have this tool. Mm. I didn't forget about it. I must mm. use it. So I quite like that. So tell me, where can people find out more about you and your business? We've got a website. It's uh, thinkspiration.coza. There's a lot of info on the website. I've written a book 
Um, so that's also available via the website. And yeah, there's we've there's a lot of lot of material on there. Um, and then I think you know the the thing that we love doing is actually meeting people. We always open for a cup of really good coffee, and all our contact details are are there. We also um, have some social media interaction going, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. People can see some of the kind of things we're up to. We put a lot of material up there that are very much in keeping with, if you like, the Thinkspiration principles. Uh, we do the storytelling workshop. And then as well as that, we create these visual strategy maps that's, that Tracy has referred to, which um, put the, the, uh, the culture and the strategic imperatives, if you like, of an organization into a visual compelling picture. So we, we find a metaphor that speaks to the reality of that organization. It might be a climb up a mountain. It might be preparing for the Olympics. It might even be a theater a cost getting ready to do the to put on the show of their lives we find a metaphor that speaks in a very bespoke way to that organization so we do visual strategy maps we do these storytelling workshops which we're talking about here and then as well we've converted tracy's book into a two-day leadership intervention uh, teaching very practical skills to create a workplace that people love coming to and excel in we've spoken about two sort of pivots of of what we think cha- will change the workplace to be to be better, to be a place where people thrive. We've spoken about listening. We've spoken about storytelling. The one thing that I think is um, really, really, we've just seen it work so well, and it's, it, it really makes a huge difference, is to create a strengths-based culture, to focus on people's strengths, to call them out, to know what they are, to appreciate people for mm. that. So I think listening, storytelling, and focusing on strengths are, are for me, the three underpins of creating a, a, a different and better place to work. I mean, focusing on strength is all about resonant leadership. Mm. You always try to catch people mm. out doing the right mm. thing. That's instead, right. Instead of catching them out doing the wrong That's thing, right. you kind of catch them out doing the right thing yeah. and you emphasize that. Yeah. You see, all three those uh, points um, goes to the point Lisa made is we actually know how humans function. We know how our brains work. We know what makes people have fun, what makes them perform at a high level. We do, in almost all cases, exactly the opposite in the work environment. Now, clearly, that is not sustainable. Now, if you add to that, the key role, in my opinion, of a leader is to inspire hope, to make us dream about being the rainbow nation. The detail you can fill in in time. Of course, if you don't fill in the detail, then that, dream turns out to have been a morass that disappear. But I do think, um, you know, um, obviously if you start in South Africa, it doesn't matter in what uh, position you start, you probably from very early on have got a few people reporting into you. Now you can call yourself a manager or supervisor, but inherently you're a leader. So that leadership journey doesn't get you to inspire hope for the corporate, for the country, But you've got one or two people whose lives you can make better by giving them purpose and meaning and make them understand why what they do is putting a man on the moon, not cleaning the toilets in in the NASA offices. So I think, um, to me, that's the the key thing. All of these are useful tools and are amazing tools and are very simple and easy to learn. And the big challenge is to accept that each one of us is in a place where we influence others, and if we accept that responsibility, then we'll find these tools useful. I, th- I think, yeah, and, and to your point, Petra, about change and the purpose of this podcast, which we're all very excited about with you, 
there's so much talk of 4IR, there's so much talk of machine learning, there's so much talk of using technology and what is being discovered to be better um, technically than we've ever been before. We think it's time to apply that to leadership practice. We think it's time to take what is being learned about people and how to lead and make it practical and get serious about that too. Yeah, and what stories are we going to be telling about technology and 4IR and what Mm. is it actually going to mean for Mm. people? Mm. Is it going Mm. to mean that we're going to have more time or as it is with all technology, less time? Mm. Mm. (laughs) I don't know. We are allowing the consultants to tell scary stories and we should actually start to tell empowering stories. How much more time will I have and what can I do with that? Thanks very much, guys, for joining me in the studio today. Thank you. Thanks so much. This episode of Unchanged was recorded at Solid Gold Studios in Randburg, South Africa. My guests were Tracy Swanepoel, Bernard Swanepoel and Lisa Shippey from Thinkspiration. You can find out more about them and Thinkspiration at thinkspiration.co.za.